Hello and welcome to What's the Big Idea? I'm your host, Paige Curtis. Today's episode is brought to you by Destination Imagination, commonly referred to as DI, the leading creative problem-solving experience for children. Through DI's innovative project-based educational experiences, participants gain the skills that will set them up for success and careers like the ones we're going to hear about today. Learn more about DI at destinationimagination.org. This is part two of two of our conversation with Chloe Contos. Part one is available now on your favorite podcast platform. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today is this notion of how you use creativity and collaboration and communication, um, critical thinking, all of those four C skills in the job that you're doing. And so you've you've laid the roadmap right there of these just huge issues that um, you approach as a team with your colleagues on behalf of the American people. And I mean, that's a that's a pretty that's a big job, but that's also a little poetic. <laughs> So I think, you know, Paige, it's, it's very kind of you. I, I guess what I would say to you too, though, it's, it's um, you know, my entire time and, and right now I'm actually, this is my first job um, outside of government. You know, I've spent my, my entire, um, almost the entirety of my career as a federal employee. And I think what a lot of people don't realize um, about, you know, federal employees is, yeah, it's, it's definitely like earnest hard work, but um, especially being at the White House, I think most people are thinking about, I think most people think that once, um, you know, these transitions happen, these presidential transitions, it just clears out, right? And there's no one there, but actually majority of the White House is career employees like me who stick around, you know, across administrations. And again, I think part of the reason I was able to work across the Obama administration into the Trump administration and then advise um, Biden-Harris transition teams is because I'm an honest broker. Um, and because, you know, it's it's not about, um, I, think, I think also the other piece that's always interesting to me is like the consistency um, across these, you know, these administrations, a lot of, a lot of the same problems still exist. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of my colleagues who'd been at the white house much longer than me, um, you know, will kind of, it, it's funny when you, um, have the, these new teams come in and they'll bring something up and you'll say, yeah, we, you know, that came up like 15 years ago. And so did that solution. That <laughs> and this is why we don't do it because like this, you know, and so it's just really interesting. Like, you know, even at the White House level where people are really thinking, um, you know, administration to administration, like you have these, like, frankly, a large number of um, federal employees, career federal employees who stick around um, and are the continuity of government in terms of ensuring that the continuity is there um, for the American people. I think the other piece that's really important is um, there is opportunity that comes with with every uh, you know presidential um, administration change where you can bring up fresh ideas or repackage ideas, and, and I think one of the things that's again to the communication aspect, right? The the four C's. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, communication is is a big piece of every job I've ever had. And I, and I think if you, if you have the best idea in the world, but you can't explain it to people or explain it to people in a way that they can understand, um, which I think happens a lot of times with science and tech and, and can be intimidating um, for folks, you know, your idea doesn't matter, right? Like if it's, if it's not hitting folks and they're not able to consume it and understand it um, and get on board with you, it, it really doesn't, there's no value there. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I actually, in terms of communication, again, we're, we were coming up with these 
strategies and, and priorities and policies for, you know, ST for the nation. And so one of the first things I did actually when I came into my role at the, you know, as executive director of the NSTC is we, you know, we have to vet all of these reports with all of these agencies to make sure that, you know, we're, we're what we're saying makes sense. And before um, I came aboard, you know, people had had these um, reports that were that were waiting for, um, you know, when, when you have the presidential transition, a lot of things kind of go pause. And then you pick everything back up and, and you start looking at, all right, well, this is what needs to get done. Let's look at this. This was in the works. And so let's review this. And I had all of these really long, um, super hard to read technical reports that were thrown my way. And I said, we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, these are supposed to be policy documents. These, you know, these are not um, technical. They're not really supposed to be technical reports either. Um, they're strategy and policy documents and they should be consumable. And so I cut, I cut the uh, length down to 30 pages. If it was over 30 pages, I would not read it. And the other thing I said is we have to explain this in a way that the American people understand taxpayer dollars are paying for, for us, you know, for these, for, for us to come up with these policies. This is for the benefit of the United States. Like we should explain this in a way that any, anyone that picks up our documents understands, not just someone with a PhD, um, you know, in, in astrophysics or something. Right. And so that was, that was something that was really important to me in terms of communication um, that we're communicating in a way uh, that is inclusive. So that that was something I really harped on, and I think was um, you know it, we I really I really made people write clearly. Um, <laughs> if I couldn't understand it, then it wasn't going out. Um, I didn't want our I, I did not want any of our documents, any of our especially around you know these large policy areas to intimidate anyone. Um, for creativity, I think. Uh, being in the Peace Corps, like you have to be creative. I remember one of one of my trainings I was doing because I was one of the first um, literacy volunteers. And so the second group of literacy volunteers that was coming coming in, um, I had like I, I had a presentation for them. And, and again, a training, a training of trainers. Right. And I well, I didn't have power that night, which happens all the time. And so I had come I had like done my presentation for them on, a you know, a poster board with crowns. Cause like, that's what I had. And I couldn't, I, like my computer was dead. I couldn't like, you know, come up with a PowerPoint. And so I came in the next day and I'd been on a bus for like four and a half hours to the Capitol. Right. And I'm like already exhausted. And, and I'm like going through my training materials and they were all like, this is awesome. You did it on poster board. And like, this is, this is real. You know what I mean? Like that was really like, in a lot of these communities where there's high, you know, illiteracy rates, like you don't have, power all the time. You don't have consistent power or water. And that's really the reality of like these communities and, and, you know, how you're, what, what the resources you have and what you're going to be teaching, um, in, in, you know, what the environment is you're going to be teaching in. And so the idea that I would, you know, none of my classes or teachers had computer, you know, personal computers, or it could be projecting PowerPoints, you know, we were using poster board and markers and, you know, photocopies. And so you're, um, you're innovating with what you yes, have. <laughs> exactly. And I think every Peace Corps volunteer would tell you that that is you it's forced creativity, but it's the best uh, creativity. Um, critical thinking again, you know, with teacher training, one of my first classes I had 
um, was a total bust. I'll be honest with you. It was, it was really unsuccessful. Um, and it, like the teacher, like, we just didn't, we didn't think about, um, and, and again, this is what critical thinking is, right? You're assessing, you're observing and you're, and then you're improving based on that. And so one of our first classes, like people just weren't engaged our students weren't, you know, and, and partly this is, again, we started with the alphabet. And I think we just weren't meeting our students where they were. And so their next class, mm-hmm. we we also had the desk in rows. And so the next class, we put the desk in a circle. Um, we started off with a song to get everyone on their feet, kind of, you know, get, get the energy up. And then we started with how this is how you write your name. Like, let's start with where you are. Um, as a person and who you are. And that was so much more empowering to the students. And that was, um, you know, that was, that was a successful class. We, we, we realized like we needed to um, amend and, and change our, our approach. And so to me, that's, that's critical thinking. And, and you should always be using critical thinking in any job you're in to kind of assess the situation, take a step back. Um, collaboration, I mean, that was the entire purpose of the National Science and Technology Council was to bring agencies together to collaborate and coordinate uh, resources and, and come up again with um, strategic and, and sound S&T policy. Um, and then did I miss one? I know I don't think I did. We talked about critical thinking, collaboration, creativity and communication. Oh, yeah, you got them all. Yeah. And so really, you know, those are skills I feel like I use every day, um, whether it's you know, right now in my job at JP Morgan, I work with my team. Um, we work on endpoint security and email security. And so I have very technical leads, uh, but a lot of times we're needing to, you know, take that technical information and communicate it in a way that an executive can understand uh, or an end user. And so a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, when we're coming up with strategies and policies, um, they'll give me all the options and I'll say like, this is great, but like, what are the viable options? Let's only communicate what's possible versus what's technically possible. So again, just honing on what is our, what is our message and how do we communicate that best to the audience? Uh, something I'm always thinking about. So I'd love hearing you talk about how you are in these roles with highly technical leads and you are sort of serving as that point person who is doing a lot of the communicating with different business units, different silos. Um, Talk a little bit about playing the role of a generalist, because I think for me, that's a word uh, that's maybe gotten a little bit of a negative connotation, like what does a generalist really do? But I think when you describe the importance of leadership and and falling into that role and being able to be that point person, it's such a critically important piece of how to make an organizational functional. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I am a total generalist, um, an, an expert of nothing. So I'm again, when you were talking about passwords, I thought, you know, I'd have to defer to someone that works for me. I wouldn't be able to answer your question. But I think that's that's kind of you need these generalist roles that are focused on the organization, connecting the dots, what the strategy is. Um, and, and, you know, what like in some ways to answering these business problems um, or coming at or coming at, you know, whatever technical issue from a business lens. Um Again, I think about communication all the time. And, and so when we're, you know, we're putting a proposal together or we're, um, you know, making a big technology, a suggestion for a big technology, um, you know, update or change or, or, you know, again, at my time at the White, during my time at the White House, when we were, um, 
shaping and, and defining policy, um, I think it's just really important to, to think about who your audience is, um, but also like providing context and, and, you know, what's the general problem here? Uh, you know, this, the generalist lens is, I, I think, focused on like people problems, bringing um, people to the table. Um, and I do think it's an important role. And, and I, in some ways, I feel like, uh, you know, my, my upcoming role um, as a chief of staff, d- director of, of the office of the CTO, it's all about kind of servant leadership too, um, where you're, again, bringing all of these experts together who are the expert in their area, but they're not necessarily thinking about how that interacts with other areas or, or what, you know, what's, what's the overall goal we're thinking about um, and how do these parts come together to make the whole. And again, just even organizational aspects, right, of of what motivates people, like what they need in their day to day recruitment. I've always been involved in a lot of recruitment, uh, whether at the White House or even now at J.P. Morgan as a woman in technology. Um, so I think one thing that should be uh, interesting and, um, you know, I was I was a little always hesitant to. Uh, think of myself as like in a STEM field or in a science and tech field, but but I am, and there are roles for generalists in the in in science and tech essentially, um, and I'm really excited to get back to science uh, in, in my upcoming role at MD Anderson. That's something I've really missed since being at the White House, and I'm not a scientist, right? Um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that I can't work on these issues and or work in this domain. Um, so I think that's it's really important to have the um, you know, in some ways like courage to to try out different domains and areas uh, and not think that you need to be an expert. There are generalist roles um, in these STEM fields for, for people to work in. And that means that you are, you know, part of the STEM workforce. Absolutely. You're part of that club. Whether you're a parent, educator, or supporter of learning, you know you can have a profoundly positive impact on a child's life by awakening their innate curiosity. For more than 20 years, Destination Imagination has been helping kids from all walks of life find what makes them unique. Join us in giving the gift of creativity by making a donation to DI Today. Help ensure that we can continue building resilient kids and communities all over the world. Visit us at destinationimagination.org and click donate to make a donation today. I think there might be some people listening to this conversation, especially young people who are thinking that what you're saying really resonates with them, that they have these transferable skills and they have the ability to be a generalist, but they don't know where to start. So for a young person seeking mentorship in in your field or really in, in any field, what advice would you give to a young person seeking mentorship? So I think one thing, um, you know, I had a lot of great mentors, really, I think part of the reason I was able to find my voice, um, and I I think I really started out finding my voice and and hitting my stride in my first job at the White House. And I think partially that was due to the mentorship um, that I had. And a lot of, I still have a lot of the same mentors. So a lot of the um, CIOs I worked with, the, the CIO at the Social Security Administration, um, the CIO at the Department of Justice, um, the director of the Natural Science Foundation. Uh, these people were amplifying my voice uh, in a way that provided me legitimacy, support, um, and, and, and really guidance too through some like sticky policy issues 
of, you know, what is the right step forward here? What's, what's the realm of the possible? What do we do? How do we work together? How do we push through? Um, and, you know, I was really lucky to get to work with people like that. Um, and again, so amplifying the voice of others, um, I always work to do that with my team. It's important that again, I'm not, I am, you know, people will come to me and ask technical questions or say like, what's the deal? And I always loop my team and say, Paul is the expert or, um, Susie's the expert, you know, can you guys provide this answer? I, I don't say like, I don't, you know, message them off to the side, have them provide me the answer. Like you need to provide a platform for people. Um, the other thing is a lot of people have actually started asking me to mentor others. And I'm always up for, for mentorship. If someone asks me to meet with someone or mentor, um, or just wants to talk to me and kind of ask some career advice, I'm always going to say yes. So sometimes it's, it's on the person, uh, to, to reach out and not be afraid. And, you know, you, you might get, shut down once or twice, but for the most part, people will really appreciate. Um, and it's an honor, honestly, for someone to say like, Hey, could you meet and, and help, um, you know, one of my staff members or one of my colleagues, you know, find her voice or whatever that might be. Um, and so don't be afraid to reach out. You know, people want to help others. Um, they'll probably be, uh, you know, honored. Um, you know, it, it people like being asked for advice, to be honest. Uh, but I would say, you know, be brave, reach out. And then for those, um, you know, for those that are in the position to amplify or provide platforms to others, do that. It's really important. That's great. Courage, 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 courage and and finding those jobs, courage and and seeking people out and networking. I think that's great advice. Uh, Chloe, we are going to move to our second session, which is called Rapid Fire. So I am going to read you a couple of quick questions and I would love your take on the answers. Absolutely. The first one is a yes or no question. Will robots ultimately come for your job? No, robots are not going to come for my job. Uh, And this, so I, I, again, I listened to your podcast, so I know these questions are coming. (laughs) I I talked to my husband about this last night. He's a data scientist. And, uh, and a machine learning AI data scientist. So I said, you know, do you think robots are coming for my job? I said, I don't think they're coming for my job, but what do you think since you're an expert in the field? And I think, you know, the, the beauty of robots and machine learning and AI is you have to train it, right? But in terms of what I do, it's a lot of relationship management, development, um, responding to people where they are, meeting people where they are, tailoring your message for who, you know, what the audience is. Um, and I don't think you can train a robot to do that. You know, I, I don't, and I don't think people necessarily want to train a robot <laughs> to, to do that, it, that kind of job function. So I don't think robots are coming for my job. I, I think I have job security. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I certainly don't think they can take crayons and poster board and make a beautiful training out of those materials. Uh, Question number two, is social media the best or the worst? I think it's the best, especially after this year. Um, You know, for a lot of us, social media was the only, it it was the outlet we needed and had to communicate with our families. Um, You know, if we, if we weren't in, in the same location or we weren't able to quarantine together Um, you know, I think a lot of people are also looking to social media for, um, like uplifting messages. 
um, you know, all the different kind of positive messages going on, whether it was, um, I think, you know, I'm just thinking of some of those great early, um, you know, videos that you saw during really when we were all quarantining globally across the world that you saw people on their balconies. That's exactly uh, what I was just thinking right? of. Yeah. Banging the pot. Exactly. You know, yep. dancing, um, encouraging uh, frontline workers. Um, you know, you saw chorus, uh, courses singing together uh, via Zoom. And so, you know, social media, if we hadn't had social media this year, we would have in many ways been unable to connect with with anyone. Right. So in, in terms of what it brought us through covid um, is it really brought us connectivity? Uh, and that's the best. Well, I think this last question is probably the most controversial and you already know it's coming. Yes or no. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. So pineapple is not my go-to, but when, you know, you're at like a pizza party or someone orders like a Hawaiian pizza or something, I get very excited because it's it's not my <laughs> normal order, but I always enjoy it. It's a unique combination. Uh, it's kind of like a special treat. Um, so yeah, I, I totally believe pineapple belongs on pizza. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like us to know before we wrap up? So I guess the, you know, the one last point or one of one of, I think the most important points of what we talked about today um, was around mentorship and sponsorship and just how important that is. And again, I was lucky enough to get amazing mentorship sponsorship for, especially during my time at the white house, um, you know, across the different administrations, uh, with folks I worked with, uh, that I still go to for advice, um, and, and guidance in, in my career. And that's just so critical and important. And again, when and if you're in the position to sponsor others or mentor um, or provide a platform to amplify someone else's voice, you should do that. Uh, it's it's an honor to be able to do that. And it's really important. Uh, I especially think about that a lot for, um, you know, it, it, I think it's an important tenet of diversity, inclusion and, and, and equity. Um, so do your part, you know, amplify other voices. Absolutely. Our one last question is, what big ideas excite you now? So I am really excited about moving to the healthcare domain sector. Um, and one, one of the things that I'm, I think about often and is about healthcare data, right? And, and specifically patient data and owning your own health data. And so one of the shows I you know, really enjoyed on Netflix this year was called Diagnosis. And it's the show that's based around um, essentially using social media, uh, to solve really rare, uh, medical conditions. And I thought that was just really powerful, right? Like how many people out there are suffering from some weird illness or rare illness, um, that, you know, don't know anyone else that has the same issue or, um, challenge, um, and feel like really alone and, and isolated and, and don't know how to use their own health data to, to reach others, connect with others to you know solve their health issue or address their health issue or just have answers. I think one of the worst things is being in limbo with um, health problems of, of not knowing, even if you solve it, but you don't know what the core uh, cause was. So I, I really love this idea of like, where are we going next with health data and the ability to own your own health data? Um, and, you know, essentially problem solve, share that data, connect with others, 
Um, and so that's what I think a lot about is, is like, what's that next paradigm? Um, I think we started with data science with this whole idea of like big data, but now we're moving towards data and context, which is so much harder. Uh, so I'm really excited to see, especially uh, with all the breakthroughs with COVID, right, about um, working faster, smarter, collaborating more, um, putting data sets out there, uh, providing access to, to, to different uh, researchers, doctors, you know, different medical teams across federal agencies. You know, what can we do when we knock down the barriers and provide context? Well, it sounds like this is the perfect setup for your new role at MD Anderson. And I know I speak on behalf of Destination Imagination and our listeners when we say we're so excited to see what you do there and, and continue this journey into health data and accessibility for, uh, for everybody with their health data. Thanks, Paige. This was really fun. I had a great time. Uh, I think it's really great that you guys are doing this series. And, uh, you know, again, it's been an honor. I've really enjoyed our time together. Likewise. Thank you, Chloe. We would like to acknowledge that this episode of What's the Big Idea was recorded on land originally inhabited and cultivated by the Akokissa, Lenape, and Shawnee Nations. We are grateful for this land and for the people who have stewarded it for generations. This episode was produced by Kelsey Selleck with additional material provided by Donald Alfiero and Chris Beisel with music by Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to our guest, Chloe Contos, for joining us today. You can learn more about Chloe by checking her out on LinkedIn. To learn more about our show and about DI, visit us at destinationimagination.org. If you'd like to inspire even more big ideas for young people around the world, consider making a charitable contribution to DI at destinationimagination.org slash donate. I'm Paige Curtis. Thanks for listening to What's the Big Idea? The U.S. Department of Labor estimates that 65% of today's students will be employed in jobs that have yet to be invented. We have no way of knowing what those jobs will entail. But we do know that the skills that will prepare them for success are the skills that they can develop through destination imagination. Hi, I'm Chris Beisel, Director of Training for Destination Imagination. I was a team manager for 15 years and 22 teams before I joined the staff. Being a team manager was the best thing that I did for all my children. Destination Imagination, or DI, is an international project-based competition that reinforces the four C's, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creativity. You probably heard about those skills in today's episode, and DI is the place where kids like yours develop those skills for themselves. Students work together in small teams to create solutions to a challenge. DI's team challenges fall into one of seven categories, scientific, technical, engineering, fine arts, improvisation, service learning, and for our younger children, early learning. A DI team selects one of those seven challenges and prepares a solution to present at the local tournament. Throughout the experience, students create projects, solve problems, build relationships, learn new concepts, and have a great time in the process. We're building the workforce of the future. Today's DI participants are tomorrow's innovators, problem solvers, and leaders. If that sounds like a good fit for you and the young people in your life, 
We would love to have you join us. To get started today, visit DestinationImagination.org slash learn more. Thank you.